This episode of Modern Bonsai is brought to you by Bonsai Ann Masterclass Series, an online learning platform with live and interactive lessons where you can ask real-time questions and get real-time answers. For more information, visit www.bonsai-en.com.au. That's www.bonsai-en.com.au. Modern Bonsai listeners, welcome back to another episode. Today's guest is Nigel Saunders. Nigel is most well known for his YouTube channel, The Bonsai Zone. So sit back as Nigel and I talk about things like keeping tropical trees in a colder environment and some of the challenges that he faces in Canada. haven't found your YouTube channel which I don't think that's many people because you're up to about what 160 something thousand subscribers now 169 now it just turned over to 169 last night <laughs> well, there you go so there's, there's not too many people that don't know you but did you just want to give an introduction to yourself for the the people who maybe who haven't discovered your YouTube channel yet I'm Nigel Saunders I'm an Australian and I live in Canada I started my YouTube channel, The Bonsai Zone, about seven years ago, so I'm into my eighth season now. Yeah, and it's that's um, interesting. You said you're Australian. What's the story there? Um, I was my both my parents are Australian, and they lived in Switzerland for a while. So I was born in Switzerland, and I took on the nationality of my parents. And then we moved to Wales, lived in Wales for a few years, and then immigrated to Canada. And I've lived in Canada pretty well all my life then. Yeah, right. So that's a bit of a round trip in your early years. So I'm Australian, but I've never been to Australia, which is <laughs> kind of too bad. I'll have to get there one of these days. Yeah, I think you'll love it here because um, one thing I've noticed with your channel is you quite love tropical species and we can grow them really well here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I don't know if four seasons, but maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> so where, whereabouts did your bonsai journey start? How long have you been doing this now? Um, I've been doing it for about, um, 27 years now. Yep. I uh, I started off. I um, we were given these poinsettias at work to put on our desks, and I had it in the windowsill. And this little thing started growing out of the soil. Uh, I didn't know if it was a weed or what it was, so I let it grow to see find out what it was. And it was a ficus, and it started growing a little taller, and it started getting a woody trunk. And I thought that kind of looks like a little tree. And I thought, well, I'll give it its own pot. So I put it into its own pot. And I kept it in the windowsill at work and it started growing larger and larger until it started taking over the whole window. And I thought, well, I better prune it down to keep it, you know, a little smaller. So I had never really heard of bonsai in my whole life. So I, I went into a bookstore to look at, uh, in the gardening section to look 
for a book on pruning to see how to do it. And I somehow I stumble across the bonsai section and I open the book up and went, wow, keeping trees small is a thing. I didn't even know it was a hobby or anything. And uh, I was just fascinated. I, I, bought, I bought a book and uh, after that, I, I think a week later, I had 10 trees. I uh, joined three different clubs in the area and that quickly went up to like a hundred trees and I was just hooked on the hobby. I just loved it. And uh, yeah, so I still have that very first tree that started me into bonsai. It's grown from a seed and it's, I think it's 27 years old now. Yeah, how awesome. That, that's a good story when, you know, people still have their very first tree because I've still got my first juniper. And, Do you? You know, oh, that's I, amazing. I, I, I hope that lives on forever. Um, you know, it's... It's funny because when I got that, I bought it from a big box retailer store. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, bought it home and did everything wrong. Um, had it inside, yep. sitting on my bedside table and wasn't really <laughs> watering it too much. But the the thing for me, I got really lucky because I had bought it in the winter time, So the tree was basically yep. dormant anyway and wasn't taking up much water you know didn't need that much sunlight and by the time that i'd learned much light mm, by the time that i'd learned it survived eh? well yeah it (laughs) survived i ended up getting it outside i um and by the time that spring come around i'd learned enough you know about soils and you know all that kind of stuff and i end up repotting it um i repotted it into a nursery container out of the bonsai pot that it come in so it's still in the nursery container and it's still growing i'll probably grow that in a nursery container forever (laughs) (laughs) that's amazing that's a good story too (laughs) yeah just to let it get bigger and bigger and you know keep it healthy you know maybe 20 years down the track i'll slip it into a bonsai pot and you know be proud of my first tree yeah well there's a very steep learning curve at first isn't there yeah and you unfortunately you learn the hard way (laughs) oh yeah and and it's funny too because that first juniper that I got is still living, but the five after that one died. Yeah. You know, it's a survivor. It just wants to grow. <laughs> and it's funny. Um, people have probably heard me talk before that when I start a new species, I get what I call a demolition tree. So it's basically a tree yeah. that I'm not putting a lot of um, effort and care into but just seeing what the tree can do what it can handle before i start you know really putting a lot of work into a species yeah i find it takes it takes a long time before you really get to know a species knowing what they do and how much you can do at a certain point in time like how much can you prune the roots and how much can you prune the top and get them on some kind of a schedule of consistency and it takes a long time it takes several I would say probably five to 10 years before you really get to know the tree. And uh, yeah, it, it may sound a little strange, but it does. It, it Before you le- really learn that tree. Well, the funny thing is with bonsai, it's kind of like, you know, you do something over and over again and you get good at it. But with bonsai, you've got to do a tree in the winter to know what it's going to do. You've got to do a tree in the spring. You've got to do a tree in the summer and in the autumn. And you only get one of those seasons each year. So to do to do one of those seasons per species 10 times that's 10 years yeah and you know by that time you might have a grip on it yeah well you take repotting for instance if you don't repot a tree for you know three or four years 
in 30 years, you've only repotted it 10 times, which is, you know, not all that often, really. Yeah, unless you've got, you know, a lot of that species and you're doing it 10 times a year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that helps a lot. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, I've, I, you know, as I said earlier, I've noticed with your channel that you've got quite a love for tropical species and in particular, um, like fruiting species and stuff like that. So what... What created the love for those type of species over the traditional type of bonsai, say like juniper or pines and things like that? I think um, I have about half tropicals and half hardy trees in my collection at the moment. Um, I I don't know. I've always been drawn towards species that are a little different. Uh, when I go to a bonsai show, I, I'm drawn to trees that you don't normally see in books or shows something that someone's come up with that's a little different um i guess it's because you know you see thousands of junipers and you see thousands of pines and um you've kind of seen almost everything that can be done with the species so i i like uh growing things that are kind of out of the ordinary i guess um some of them are experimental, some work out, some don't. Um, my philosophy is that any tree or any plant can become a bonsai. Uh, and so I try and work with species from all over the world. Uh, I tr you know, if I had an unlimited green, uh, you know, space and time and that, I, I would have species from all over the world and have like an African section, uh, South America section, uh, Philippines, you know, I just, I'm fascinated by trees from all over the world. So I kind of try and base my collection on that, that uh, I try and get bizarre trees from all kinds of different countries and continents. And it's just, that's my thing, I guess. <laughs> well, I mean, that that's how things move forward by trying things, trying new things and, you know, somebody's got to try these things to see if it works because if nobody does then we don't move forward yeah and i think you know what is the definition of bonsai i mean it's uh, it's literally a plant a, a potted plant basically isn't it um and it doesn't say it has to be a tree uh it so generally what we know of as bonsai is it resembles a tree in nature or it has a tree form, I guess. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 I don't think it's fair, you know, to say some people don't consider tropical trees real bonsai. They say it has to be a four seasons tree. Um, some people don't consider succulent trees bonsai because they don't have a true tree-like growth system. They don't have a cambium layer and they don't get bark and so you know everyone has a different definition of bonsai and mine is i think plants from all over the world should be included and you know you try and grow them in a sort of a tree-like form something that uh, resembles a larger tree in nature i guess um well bonsai you know like a good bonsai tree has had many iterations you know when it started off in china in the early days it was penjing you know and it was that yep. classic clip and grow method, more of that landscape kind of setting. And then 
once it was more or less imported into Japan, then it became um, more of that classic kind of look that we know as bonsai now with the wiring and some of the techniques but even in the early days of bonsai you know before the 1980s bonsai was very different we didn't have those quote-unquote rules that we work by today and then after the 1980s we moved into contemporary bonsai and you know we see all this stuff that's happening now and the techniques are gradually getting better and better and as yeah as we move forward and especially with the internet now because we're seeing all different bonsai from around the world because if you look at what's happening here in Australia we do more naturalistic you know upward branches um I know you're a fan of Aussie bonsai bloke he does a lot of a lot of that upward stuff um and then you look at places like India um they do a lot of uh settings um they love like their waterfalls with bonsai on them and you know really big trees and then you look at Vietnam and they've just got ridiculously big figs um (laughs) due to their humidity well that's one thing i like about you know the world of bonsai is that i prefer every country to or every continent or country to have their own kind of style i you know if i go to japan i want to see japanese style bonsai if i go to the states america i want to see american style bonsai and if i go to the philippines i want to see filipino style bonsai and I like that. I don't like, you know, every country to try and make all the trees look like Japanese trees, I think, uh, or Chinese trees, I think. And I, I like, you know, the Australian native trees are fantastic. And some of the styles that you see um, in some of the Australian magazines and that, they're just, they're fantastic. And they're very unique to Australia. And I, I like that. I I like each country doing their own thing. I yeah. think it's really that way I, I think each country has to to like work within their limits because say for example if we were to take some of our well most of our Australian natives and crank the branches down like we do with conifers we wouldn't have any branches <laughs> right they just break off and <laughs> they just snap straight off the tree you know people in Mexico they have a different they grow different kinds of bonsai they don't have you know winterized trees like pines and that they have few but um yeah i like each country to kind of have work with their native trees and that and develop their own styles and yeah i i I think that's going to push bonsai into a world-class hobby you know people doing their own thing and and i mean it's like art too it's there's if you ask someone what's the best style of painting in the world well everyone's going to have a different opinion. It's, you know, one person might like traditional Japanese style bonsai. Another person might like the older style Chinese penjing. And um, there's no right or wrong. It's just what appeals to you. Uh, I know my, my style and bonsai has changed a lot uh, since I got into the hobby. I think when you first get into the hobby, you, those trees with the massive root bases, short squat, fat trunks and, they're really impressive to you. And then, but I found now that they're impressing me less and less as I get older, I go for more of a, more of a realistic style, something you'd see in nature. Um, I don't really like those big fat based uh, trees, the huge Nabari that's all fused together. And it, to me, that's starting to, it's almost like a contest of who can, 
it's a skills contest rather than making the tree look like a natural tree. And it's just a different style, I guess. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it, but it's not what appeals to me. Yeah. I like, uh, I'm drawn more to maybe the literati style trees now. Um, something that you could picture yourself seeing it in nature. I, I'm, I don't like the exaggerated kind of trees anymore. Yeah. I, um, I can't remember what podcast it was. I think it was the last one I did with Andrew Edge when we were talking about exploring Australian natives. And I'd mentioned, you know, that the fact that girth had kind of become king in the world of bonsai in the fact that, you know, these days people are more impressed by how wide the base of a tree is rather than how nice the branch structure is or the health of the tree. You know, there could be a small little tree sitting next to a you know big collector tree that's got a big trunk and the small tree could have a lot of really nice movement branches in all the right places perfect ramification small leaves but it's going to be that big girthy tree that may not have any movement or great branch structure that's the one that's going to get the attention well one thing that really opened my eyes in the world of bonsai i was at a uh, a bonsai show at the chinese cultural center in toronto and the main room had all the large trees and I looked through them all and they were really nice. And then they had another little room and it had all the really small trees and uh, the Shohin and, uh, and there was one tree there that was, it was about, you know, not very tall. And, uh, and it was the most beautiful and detailed tree of the entire show. And I thought that is the best tree of the show, that little tree. And it looked more, it looked, like a giant tree more than any of the big trees out in the uh, main show floor there. And that really opened my eyes that it's not the size of the tree. It, it's the details that are in the tree and the, uh, the refinement and this, you know, all the, the, the size of the bark and the size of the leaves and the ramification and not just ramification. Like I've seen, I've seen trees that, have ramification coming out their ears. It's, it looks like a, a hedgehog. It's got, you know, there's no branch definition or anything. It, it's got the most ramification you could ever get on a tree, but it doesn't look good. It looks like a pin cushion or something. Whereas uh, I've seen Chinese trees that they concentrate on getting each branch just right. And it has the ramification where it needs it. You know, the branch starts off at a certain thickness and it gets thinner and thinner towards the tips and it's just done beautifully. And so you can overdo anything. I think Walter Paul, he has a video that says, you know, there is such a thing as trunk taper, but there's too much. And there's, you know, showing the roots of the tree, but there you can show too much roots and you can have too much of anything isn't a good thing sometimes. It, it's, um, yeah, sometimes it's, the hardest thing is just to make a tree look like a tree, I think. Yeah, that, that's it. Um, you know, with with the taper, you see it on some trees that, um, you know, when they've been grown really big and then they just get trunk chopped and then they start from that point and you just get this really rapid change in taper and, you know, it's it's very distracting from somebody who's grown a tree, chopped it, grown it a bit more, chopped it, grown it a bit more. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I think, I mean, there's no substitute. Um, I I think the best trees 
at least for me, that I've ever seen are ones that have grown in a smaller pot through their entire lives and they've just slowly gotten larger and they have the best bark on them, the best branch structure. There's no coarseness to the growth on them. And I just, you can see a tree like that. That's uh, an old tree that's been slowly grown and carefully grown. It has a quality to it. That's just, you can't match it in a rapidly grown tree. It's just something special, I think. Yeah. There's, there's something that, um, you know, since I started watching your channel a few years ago, there's, you know, something that I've always wondered, and that's how long did it take you to um, perfect having tropicals in such a anti-tropical climate? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Um, I'm still perfecting that. Uh, I, I I think it's because when I started out in Bonsai, because we have such cold winters here, we can get down to, I think, minus 34 is being the coldest we've gotten lately, um, which is pretty cold. Um, I don't know if you've ever experienced temperatures like that, but... <laughs> oh, man, it's pretty cold. We get down to three degrees here at the coldest, and I whinge. Okay. <laughs> yeah, imagine, <laughs> imagine minus 34. It, it's pretty cool. Um, so a tree has to be pretty hardy to survive here, and I think... Um, when I started out in bonsai, it was, it's very difficult to keep a tree alive. I tried putting them in the ground at first, my hardy trees, and the rabbits and mice would chew the trunks on them. So every, every year I'd lose three or four trees due to, you know, rabbits, rabbit damage. So then I, uh, I started putting them in the basement and that worked out quite well for the coldest months of the winter. I just take them off the benches, put them in the basement. And that worked out quite well. And that's what I've been doing ever since. Uh, but uh, the tropical trees, they're always easier because, you know, before the first frost hits, you bring them in the house. Uh, I had a porch here on the side of the house that I kept them in, which is sort of like a sunroom. And uh, I always had pretty good luck. I, I lost a few um, at first I didn't have a fan in the room and there'd be cold spots in the room when it got really cold outside and I would lose a few trees in the corner of the room because they just got too cold. So then I put a fan to circulate the air. I insulated the room better and that helped. Uh, I started adding supplementary lighting for the winter and that helps again. Um, and then uh, I, I found that, you know, the tropical trees like a dormancy period um, I guess you might know better, but here in Canada, we always think, you know, tropical trees, they just grow nonstop all year round. But even in the tropics, they, they always take a rest. There's always a wet season and a dry season. And a lot of trees will lose their leaves, even though they're, you know, tropical. Uh, so I think, uh, I always left my trees out to the last second in fall, uh, till the frost came. So they would be out in some very cool nights, like we're talking, I wouldn't bring them in until it got to about five degrees Celsius. And then I'd start bringing them inside. Uh, and I think that cool period really helped them. It kind of gave them a rest period. Uh, and then when you bring them inside, they start growing like spring again. And uh, it's a good time to repot, prune them back from the summer growth. And uh, so I, this year, 
I experimented even further. I kept my tropical trees down in the basement, which is at about five to nine degrees. And I kept them in there for several months. And I do have lights above them, but basically they don't grow. Uh, they just stay healthy. There's no insect problems. Uh, you don't have to water them much. And then uh, now I'm just starting to bring them up into the plant room where it's warmer and they're just starting to take off like it's spring again. And I think they'll grow really well. Yeah. And so. it's fu it's funny too, because the other thing that people don't think about, and I don't know if you've experienced this, but when you're buying pots, um, you know, there, there's some pots that really can't handle low temperatures. Have you ever had pots crack apart on you in those well, kind of temperatures? I've had, um, I, I've only had one, uh, one really good Japanese pot that's been outside in the winter that hasn't cracked. Uh, all the cheap pots crack. They break apart in the first two years. Um, so yeah, you have to buy really good pots or you're just wasting your money if you put it in a, uh, you know, a clay pot. So I, I put all my hardy trees in mica pots and that way they never break or crack or anything. And if I ever, you know, if they're ever going in a major show or that, I would buy a really nice pot for them. A lot of my trees aren't ready for shows or anything yet. They're <laughs> still in development, but uh, some of them are getting close, but uh, now we'll see. You sound like <laughs> me. My trees are always in development. I think, oh, this year I'll pot it up. No, I'll give it another year. And then next year comes around, oh, I'll pot it up. No, I'll give it another year. Yeah, I would say a lot of my trees are kind of at a club show level. Um, and then, you know, I think some of them are now getting to maybe, you know, some of the bigger shows, uh, they could be displayed there. And then I'm hoping someday, maybe the U.S. National Show, um, they have a Canadian section in that. Uh, it's in Rochester, New York, which isn't that far a drive from here. I'm about uh, six hours away from Rochester. So I'm hoping someday I can put a tree in the U.S. National Show and exhibit it. And uh, yeah, that'll be like the, uh, I don't know. The, the pinnacle. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. A reward for all the years of growing a tree is to say you had a tree in the U.S. National Show, I think, if it gets accepted. Do you have, um, in Canada, besides club shows, do you have many uh, national shows? No, there's no Canadian national show. Um, we don't really have a regional show or anything. It's basically just the individual clubs put on shows. So in my area, within, you know, two hours driving distance, I think there's five bonsai clubs, which is pretty good. Um, yeah. In most of Canada, you're lucky to find one. But I, I just happen to be in southwestern Ontario, which is kind of, uh, there's a lot of population in this area by the Great Lakes. So, uh, yeah, I'm pretty lucky to be able to visit all these clubs and go to their shows. And Yeah, it's always handy when you've got, you know, other people doing bonsai around and clubs that you can join, especially for beginners. Um I think that's just one of those things that you can't beat having, you know, mentorship and, you know, because YouTube is yeah. a good thing, but there's always that 
other factor of actually getting your hands on a tree and having somebody stand over your shoulder and be able to you know show you on your material exactly on how how to do different things and yeah it's it's easy watching someone do a cut on their tree but when it comes to cutting your own tree it's a little different isn't it it's like do i want to do this or <laughs> yeah well it, yeah. it's funny because when i first when i first got into uh bonsai and I started watching videos online, I would always have this problem where, you know, I'd even watch a video that'd go for an hour, all on one subject, and then I'd go out the back to my tree and look at my tree and go, I still don't know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I don't know. It's hard to say how much of the video sinks in. I think it does. Um, you know, I, 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 you know, I do a lot of work on roots and that, and, uh, I came across an old bonsai focus magazine and it had, you know, basically my philosophy on roots was all printed out there. And I probably read it long ago and it just stuck in my brain. I think you get bombarded by all this information and it's up to you to kind of sort out what makes sense to you and what appeals to you. Um, you know, I think not everyone's goal in bonsai is to show a tree. It's just, sometimes it's just for their own pleasure in their backyard or, have something in their windowsill that they like to look at. And uh, yeah, I think it's something that a lot of people forget in bonsai is that not everyone is after show trees and good quality trees. Some people just want basically a house plant that looks a little nicer. Yeah. And not everybody wants to pay, you know, a thousand bucks and upwards for a, you know, <laughs> antique Chinese pot or a Japanese pot so they can put their tree in a show. <laughs> I uh, I knew the day would come where I'd have to start purchasing expensive pots. Uh, you know, to start off, I grow my trees in seed trays or plastic containers and that. And you know that at a someday your tree might get to a certain level where it's going to need a nice display pot for it. And you know how expensive they are. And so, yeah, I I was kind of prepared that someday I'm going to have to spend a lot of money on pots. And it's then you got to spend fun. a lot of money on the stand that goes under the pot. Stands, oh. Yeah, and it never ends, I mean. <laughs> it depends on what kind of display you're doing. You might have to spend 300 bucks on a scroll. <laughs> yeah, I know. And it's, yeah. But, you know, I, I think if you're at that level, it's worth it. Um, you know, it's kind of the crowning touch of your your bonsai growing is to have something that's magnificent and looks good and you want it i tell people you know when should people ask me when should i buy a really nice pot for my tree and i said well you'll know when you when it uh it'll get to a certain level where you'll want a really good pot under it and, and they're hard to find here well i think they're hard to find anywhere um most of them have to be imported but yeah the the, mar the market here if you like you basically can't buy a good quality pot they're all you know, the cheaper Korean, Chinese, some of even the, the cheaper Japanese pots and they're, you know, not fired to a high temperature and they're not good clay and the glazing isn't very nice on them and they're often warped and strange looking. They're all the cheaper pots that they sell in all the stores here. And so to get a really good pot, you basically got to order it from Japan or, or, or someone who sells them. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of some potters in North America, but 
the prices of them are outrageous and not outrageous, but um, I find pots in North America, I, I find people are getting into making bonsai pots. They feel they have to do something different. Um, so, you know, you've got these beautiful Japanese pots, which I think are probably some of the, are the best pots in the world. They're simple, plain. Um, they get patina on them as they get older. And well, and some of the Chinese pots, I, I love them old marble pots. I think that if I had a choice of any pot in the world, I would take a Chinese marble pot. I've never seen one in my life, but I hope to someday be able to get one. Yep. Uh, but um, I, I find all these potters who get into making bonsai pots, they feel they have to make something different. So they make these freeform pots with these chunky glazes on them and they, they look beautiful by themselves. They're, they're trying to make the pot a work of art and all it does is compete with the tree. And I think they've got to realize that it's like a picture frame on a painting. You don't want the picture frame to outpower, outpower or the overpower the painting. You want them to live in harmony. It should, you shouldn't notice the picture frame. You shouldn't notice the two as separate entities. It should be one unit that uh, the tree looks just perfect in that pot and your eye doesn't go to the pot and it doesn't go to the tree. It goes to both together. And I find most of the pots I see on for sale here that by custom potters and that, that they don't appeal to me at all. They just, um, yeah, they're, they're just trying to make their pot the focus, not, not the tree. Yeah, that's a shame because here in Australia we have some absolutely fantastic potters and the, the style of pot that they make here in Australia really suits our natives. It's, you know... Really? It, it's, it's hard to see an Australian native these days outside of uh, a pot made by an Australian potter. And, you know, yeah. we're starting to get more and more of them now and higher and higher quality. Um, you know, that that's just something that we've been really lucky with here. And, you know, it's a shame for you guys yeah. over there that you, you haven't quite got, got that yet. Yeah, not that I've seen anyway. Um, I mean, there's not that many people making bonsai pots in Canada. Uh, maybe there's more Americans that are doing good work, but uh, I don't know. I, like any art form, I think, you know, what I, what I consider nice today might be totally different 20 years from now. Um, and if I, if I look at bonsai magazines from 20 years ago, you look at the trees in there and they don't look like the trees today. They're simpler. They're not as impressive looking. Um, and, but they still, they're great trees. It's just, I don't know. It seems like 20 years ago, uh, a good tree didn't have to stand out. It just kind of, I don't know what I'm saying here. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I, I think I know what you're saying. Um, you know, back before there were so many, you know, once again, quote unquote, rules or guidelines, um, you know, people were just appreciating bonsai for what it was. But now when people look at bonsai, they're judging the nabari, the taper, where the first branch yeah. sits, you know, where the apex is, you know, the size ratio to the pot, all those kind of things. 
Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I, you know, everything's being pumped up to the next level. Uh, you know, nice Nabari was nice 20 years ago, but today you've got to have super Nabari. Taper was good 20 years ago, but now it's got to be super Taper. And everything's kind of being bumped up 10 times. And I find those trees don't look very calming and peaceful. I, I find some of the older trees, they, they're simpler and understated. And uh, sometimes they appeal to me more than some of these modern trees, which are almost like, uh, I, I don't like to say a freak show, but um, they're almost a cartoon versions of trees. They're caricatures of a, a tree. It's, yep. Everything's exaggerated. It's like a, it's like a, you know a filter on Instagram or something where you bonsai a tree. You take a picture of a regular tree and it makes it into a bonsai tree or something. Everything's exaggerated. And I, I yeah, as I said, that that's not really. It doesn't really appeal to me that that kind of a tree. I, I like them to have a natural look to them. Yeah. But. So in, in terms of, um, you know, we were just talking about being able to get what kind of pots you can get in Canada. Um, what kind yeah. of soils do you have available to you there? And do you have any problems with it at those freezing temperatures? Because I know that, you know, some lower grades of Akadama that aren't quite as hard can break up, you know, in frost conditions. Yeah. Um, so so yeah, what, what yeah, are you the, using there? Um. There's so many different grades of Akadama that, um, you know, it, it comes imported and uh, it's really expensive. And uh, some of it will break down very quickly in the freeze-thaw cycles in winter. And it just turns up to be kind of almost a mush. Um, but if you get the right grade, it works out fine. Uh, I guess it all depends. I don't think Akadama's fired. I think it's just a natural dried clay, I believe. Um, I, I don't think it's fired, but <laughs> I could be wrong. No, I, I think, I don't know. I'm pretty sure they fire. I think, you know, the, they, maybe they do. yeah, there's different grades of it. And if you get the really hard grade, um, you know, that can yeah. survive in frost. But if you get those, maybe that is, Akadamas, you know, maybe, yeah. But um, I, I, don't think a lot of people use it uh, here. Uh, we mainly use pumice is uh, one of the ingredients, lava rock, um, pine bark, comp composted pine bark in the mix. Uh, perlite is used a lot. Uh, turfus, which is a fired clay particle, fuller's earth. Um, and that's about all I see, really. Uh, we can't get like coconut, coconut husk or anything like that. Uh, we get sphagnum moss or moss, uh, peat moss, I guess. Some people use that. Um, but yeah, not many people use Akadama. It, it's so expensive. It's just, it's fine if you have, maybe use it in some of your better trees, but I don't know if you don't get the right grade, it breaks down too, too fast. And so we don't use it much. Yeah. I don't know who really uses it that much. 
So what, what about the rest of the year in Canada? Do you experience the four seasons or are you just more of a hot and cold season? Uh, we get we get a two, four seasons. So uh, in summer, it's usually anywhere from 20 to 34 degrees Celsius. Uh, in winter, it goes the opposite, minus 20 to minus 34 degrees Celsius. And then we get a spring and fall. It can be it can be nice one day, two days later, it's snowing and it can go nice again. So it's all up and down in the spring and fall. So you really got to watch the weather, uh, protect your trees. Like when the buds are coming out, sometimes I've had to bring all my trees back inside to the basement to protect them for against frost and then bring them back out. Uh, there's a lot of moving of trees in Canada. You're always, and there's only like summer is only, uh, the last frost we get here is around the end of May. So we've got July, August, and September is about four months of frost-free weather. And that's it. Then, you know, your tropicals have to go back inside usually. And uh, the hardy trees, you just got to start putting them away. So it, it's pretty short, the season's. Winter's long. <laughs> yeah, not much of a growing season there. No, no. That's why my tropicals, I, I generally let them grow the entire summer because it's the only time of the year they can get, you know, full sunshine and gain vigor. So so I try and come into spring with the tropicals pruned and then I let them grow the entire summer, which is, you know, two, three months. And then in fall, I prune them back and bring them inside. So. Yeah, right. So the other thing I wanted to ask you too is with the success of your YouTube channel, um, is this a full-time thing for you now? Yeah, it is. Um, I I had my own business doing, uh, I was doing concept art and animation for big shows around the world and, you know, the Milan Expo we did, uh, the Olympic opening ceremonies, things like that. So I used to do all the concept art for stuff like that. And uh, and then in between jobs, I would make YouTube videos. If, you know, you'd work, work like crazy for three or four months on a job and then there'd be nothing. So you get a month off and then I would concentrate on my bonsai. And I started making videos and that. Just, I didn't see any channels out there that showed the succession of trees, um, you know, you prune the tree and that was it. You'd never see it in another video. Uh, you know, you'd repot a tree, but you'd never see it again. And uh, I thought, I would like to see what that tree looks like, you know, a year from now or two years from now or three years from now. And so I, I didn't see any any YouTube channels like that. So I thought, well, I'm going to show all the operations of my trees. Everything I do to my trees, I'll do on video. So that's what I started to do. And I made a playlist for each tree. So you could follow along every step I did on the tree. And my goal was to hopefully get some nice trees someday. And people say, wow, how did, how did you grow a tree like that? And, you know, you can go back in the playlist and see how it began. Maybe some of them even from seeds in that. So I, I started the channel and then I, um, I slowly started doing less and less computer work and more and more bonsai work. And I didn't monetize my channel for like the first three years. And the only reason I monetized it was people were stealing my videos and posting them on 
their own channels and making money off them. And I thought, well, that's crazy. And uh, so I was spending a lot of my week doing uh, copyright submissions to YouTube, take, getting these videos taken down. And I was spending three or four hours a week doing copyright work. I thought, that's crazy. I, I can't do this. So I eventually I monetized my channel. I, I thought, you know, I if I'm going to spend this much time on the channel, I, I have to get some money for it. So I monetized it. And then, uh, yeah, and slowly uh, the channel just slowly grew. And uh, I thought, well, I can either keep working for someone else or I can just concentrate on the channel more. And I thought I really enjoy making the videos and working on the trees and, you know, answering all the comments, questions people have. And I thought, well, I'll just, uh, I'll just switch to doing YouTube as a, it's not really a living, but uh, I guess I'm semi-retired. Uh, Sounds like a yeah. good life to me though. You know, that's, um, you know, part of Bonsai and we're, we're building our channel as well. Um, we've now got our online Bonsai school where we do live classes. So anybody can join in anywhere over the world and ask live questions and stuff while we're teaching um i just oh, think that's awesome yeah i think online is just you know ever expanding and you know the more the more content that's out there the better you know the more and more people that have youtube channels and the more and more people that are doing yeah. different things on youtube channels you know like you've got your own you know um original content on your youtube channel and then you've got other YouTube channels, um, like Aussie Bonsai Bloke. He's got his own style of video that he does, and yeah. you know, and everybody does something different. Where you know, us at Bonsai M, we're you know more harder into the deeper education side of things with our videos. Um, you know, sometimes yeah. they might hurt people's heads a little bit, but <laughs> you know, <laughs> that happens. Oh, when I. When I started my channel, there weren't a whole lot of bonsai channels on YouTube. There was, you know, maybe 10 at the most. And they didn't really post regularly. And, uh, yeah, I think there was David Cortez from Mexico. I think that's his name. Uh, that had a big channel. He, like, uh, when I started, he had, like, think he had 70,000 subscribers and I went wow that's unbelievable now I think he's got over 200,000 and and uh yeah so there weren't a lot of channels on YouTube when I started and uh a lot of those channels have disappeared now people have gotten older and they've kind of given up the YouTube and uh health health problems and that and some people have passed away yeah it's it's you know when I started into bonsai, I was I as of 30 years old and I always dreamed of having these old trees in that. But the thing you don't realize is that when your trees get old, so do you. Be careful what you wish for. <laughs> we, we seem to age twice as quick as the trees do. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of a bit of a problem, so, isn't it? Yeah. It, it's kind of funny, you know, and uh, there's, you also find that as you get older, your trees will probably get smaller and lighter. <laughs> yeah, mine are already like that. I, I can't stand picking up big trees and having to move heavy trees all the time. No, I I have a rule that the it has to fit in the car. 
to take it to a bonsai show or something. I, I don't have any trees that won't fit in the hatchback. Yeah, uh, that's my rule. <laughs> <laughs> well, unfortunately, if that was um, most bonsai people out there, they they'd buy a bigger car. They'd buy a truck. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, it still fits well, it's in the fun. car. Um, a lot of these nurseries and that they sell what I call like the supercars of bonsai. Uh, I said it like going to a car show, you go to see the Lamborghinis and Ferraris, but you actually buy a Toyota Corolla or something. Um, <laughs> and all these giant collected trees in that, that are just magnificent. Uh, it's not what most people go home with. <laughs> they're, they're nice to look at, but the practicality of them is a little different. They take like a few rolls of wire to wire them. It takes four people to lift them. Uh, you know, you got to protect them. There's a big investment. The pots are hugely expensive. To repot them, you almost need a crane. So, you know, they're nice to look at, but uh, I wouldn't want to own one, I don't think. I, I think the good upside to that is they're a lot harder to steal. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> and if it does go missing, just look for the local guy with the sore back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, hopefully problems with theft or anything I, I never have but uh you never know do you it's mm. <laughs> well I, I think the, the other thing i wanted to ask you too is um you know for a lot of people that watch your youtube channel you know you, your ch trees have grown over the years and styles have changed but how many hairstyles do you reckon you've had over the years <laughs> you haven't i <laughs> <laughs> moment it's kind of wild like my trees <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah um well you know i thought you might as well have some fun with your hair when you got it <laughs> well you know that's it you know it, it's like bonsai it, it evolves over time and it changes and you know look at you sam look the bonsai the bloke see a new front look at sam the bonsai bloke he's had some crazy hairstyles too hasn't he well, yeah, that's it. He's even gone on YouTube and shaved it all off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's the Australian part of me that does that. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, how many how many trees do you think you currently have in your collection? I last time I counted, I had about 180 pots, and then some of those pots will have forests in them. So there's maybe 17 trees in the forest. Um, some of the pots have a little seedling, which, you know, doesn't really take much work. Uh, so there's various degrees, but yeah, I'll probably last time I counted about 180, it might be more now. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, at least you're afforded that opportunity because you're doing it as a full-time thing. So yeah. And you right know, now you're, kinda, you're lucky. It, it's kind of nice. Uh, people ask me, why don't I sell t-shirts and, that on my channel and I just tell them I wouldn't have the time. I, I don't go on Facebook or anything cause I don't have the time. I, I can only do YouTube, take care of the trees and that's about it. Uh, I, yeah, it, it would just, I, I think I've seen a lot of YouTubers, you know, they start a YouTube channel and they have, they post on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, they're trying to do too much and they just, it drives them crazy and they eventually quit because they just get too frustrated. It's too much work. Yeah. So, I don't know if 
people know how hard it is to run a YouTube channel. Uh, it's not just it's not just the channel. Uh, there's a lot of outside things you deal with. Um, uh, I I don't know. The, you know, there's there's the uh, emails and that that people are always asking you questions and that which I really like. But uh, comments. Uh, there's times where I've spent like four or five hours answering comments on the channel. And then you look and you see you've only touched the surface of the comments that come in. Uh, like if I post a video, sometimes I get 600 comments the first day. And it's hard to answer them all. You know, I, I like to do that because that's kind of why I started the channel because it's nice to communicate with people and talk with them and that. But And it's not just the comments, it's the emails and then there's a lot in it it's it can easily become a full-time job running a youtube channel and yes it sounds like you need to run like a live q a each week or something to try and get through yeah. the comments quicker yeah and uh yeah so i i try and keep it as simple as i can you know no no merchandise i just do the videos and that's it uh it kind of keeps it plain and simple yeah, I know what it's like because with um, my business, Bonsai N, um, yeah. like you said before, we, we have a complete media thing here where we do Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. We have marketing campaigns that have to be run. We have an international merchandise store. We have an Australian store, which we, you know, we sell pots, wire, trees, yeah. tools, you name everything. And we've got the online school and just everything takes so much work and you know, people don't understand, like, just even the shop itself, you've got, you've got to deal with supplies, you've got to deal with imports, you've got to deal yeah. with packaging supplies, you've got to deal with emails, you've got to deal with couriers, you've got, you know, different products, you've got to have a range, you've got to make sure it's good quality stuff, and then, you know, same with your YouTube, you've got to have good quality equipment, you've got to, you yeah. know, understand, you've got to keep your uploads up, and, Oh, man, it just, yeah. you know, at the moment for me, it's just, it's a full-time job that never ends, really. Yeah, it is. It's, um, and then, you know, sometimes to work on the trees in peace and quiet is just bliss. <laughs> you forget about all your problems and commitments oh. and responsibilities, and you just concentrate on the tree for three or four hours, and that's like the best time you can ever have, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I, unfortunately for me at this stage, I don't get that because we've got a five-year-old here. So peace and quiet, that's out the window. <laughs> well, that's the other thing about bonsai is that when I started, I wasn't married. So since I started into bonsai, I've got married. I had three children, uh, changed jobs, moved. Uh, and somehow the trees survive, and, you know, throughout your life. <laughs> it's amazing that <laughs> go through all that and still live. It, it takes a lot of commitment, I guess, is the, what I'm trying to say is that, you know, there's all this stuff going on. Sometimes you get sick. I I can remember a few times having, you know, the worst flu in the world, lying in bed, sick as a dog, hardly have enough strength to get out of bed. And you know, you have to go downstairs and water your trees. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> so you do that, you get, you're sick and you go in the plant room and I start watering my trees and yeah it's something you have to do and it's 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 a real commitment I think and you know yeah, people, 100% do I go on vacation and not very often 
um, you know, you can get someone to water your trees for two or three days, but if you can't go away for two weeks, it's, you'd probably come back and all your trees will be dead unless you get a watering system or something, but I don't know. Yeah. Well, I'm lucky if I ever go on holidays, I've got people close by that know how to water trees really well. Yeah, last you'd water them for me. <laughs> yeah. But unfortunately, with everything I do, I don't even know what a holiday is anymore. No, oh, you sound really busy. It's, it's good though. But, I mean, well, that's the thing. I'm doing something that I love, and yeah, um, you know, it might seem like I'm complaining that I do all this stuff, but it's funny because, you know, my other hobby that is not bonsai is things like actually editing videos um cinematography oh yeah um when i came out of high school i did my um certificate in audio engineering so i'm a bit of an audiophile um, really well that's cool yeah and you know making websites and all that kind of stuff so yeah. you know not only does that work in my favor having a business being able to have you know good high quality websites and videos and all the live stream stuff that we do but it's also a hobby of mine so no matter what i'm doing with it it's working on bonsai or working on, you know, media for the business and stuff. I'm always doing something that I love, which gives yeah. me that drive to yeah, keep going. Yeah, I, I, I tend to have a few too many hobbies. I like cycling. I like model making. I like working on cars. Uh, I like bonsai. I like art, uh, computer animation, graphics. Uh, I like watching the uh, America's Cup. <laughs> I've been watching all the art races and I, I don't know, I, I've probably got too many hobbies, but bonsai is one of the few hobbies that I've really stuck to over the years. I, I guess I like that hobby the best, but uh, yeah, I used to autocross cars and that and used to love doing that, but I don't know. Always stuck with bonsai. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, I think it was about two weeks ago you put out a video where you were going to make um like a little a city. Oh yeah, yeah. And you were drawing up the different op uh, different things that you could do on the whiteboard, and you know <laughs> I, I can't wait to see that. You got the little kits with all the bricks in them and stuff. Um, yeah. That that you've had for a few years. I can't wait to see how that all turns out. Yeah, that'll That's be, be fun. I'm I'm waiting on some model houses that are coming in, some Chinese buildings. Um, so that'll be in at the end of January. So that's coming pretty soon. So I'll be back to work on that soon. That should be a lot of fun. There's so yeah. do in bonsai and penjing. It's, you know, if it's if you're a creative person, it's a good hobby for you because there's no limit to what you can do. Yeah, because I've seen quite a lot of your trees, like even just in a sing, like single tree in a bonsai pot where you've got little pathways and things that run up, you know, like a mound and, you know, it just yeah. looks all very interesting, you know. Yeah, I like that. And I've got into 3D printing pots and that, and uh, I really enjoy that. Um, yeah, I, I'm hoping to do a lot more 3D printing in the future. Uh, I'm hoping this winter I'll, I post pots on Thingiverse so people can download the files and print them out. And if you yeah. use the right plastic, the 3D print, printed pots are really good. They stand up to all the weather and you can paint them any way you want and you can make them any size and any shape and it's it's kind of good well i think that'll be good for the future in terms of you know if, if people learn 3d printing more or even if there is a 3d printer because you know sometimes you want to start the refinement on a tree and you want to start restricting the roots but you haven't found 
the pot for that tree yet. Yeah. So if you can 3D print a pot that's roughly the size of what you want yeah. it to go in eventually, you can start that process until you find the pot. And yeah. then when you do, it should slip straight into that pot easily. So, Yeah, or if you want like a really nice show pot, uh, you can have it in this plastic training pot that's the exact same size and dimensions. And as you say, just slip it out for the show, show it in that really nice pot and uh, and then put it back in the plastic pot for the rest for winter and that so it doesn't break or anything. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of possibilities with 3D printing. You can do a lot. Yeah, it's something that I've always always wanted to get into, but, you know, never quite got there. And, you know, I've seen people use the programs and stuff, and I think, oh, do I have the time to sit down and learn? <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, that's what I used to do as, a, as work. I, I came from an engineering background. Uh, I sort of, I've always had a balance between art and engineering, and uh, so I, I used to do a lot of 3D modeling for work. Um, so that comes naturally to me now. <laughs> it's just finding the time to do it. Yeah, because you you know you have to learn like a CAD program. Yeah. Um, and you know, I learn a lot of things. Like I use all the Adobe suite, like Photoshop, Premiere Pro, After Effects. But you know, le- learning some kind of CAD software would be you know just another one of those super steep learning curves. Yeah, and then once you have the model made, you have to do the lighting and uh, textures and there's a lot in the rendering of it after that to do 3d graphics it's quite yeah <laughs> and, le- and learning you know the right kind of filament to use because you know whether you're yeah. going to be using like a, a you know polypropylene or an abs or yeah you know different things Nylon. last more in well, the sun they have uh they have filament now that has clay particles embedded in it so you can print almost like uh um uh, uh, what's that clay I'm thinking of? The cheap clay that they make nursery pots out of. Um, like terracotta? Terracotta. That's the one I'm thinking of. They have terracotta particles embedded in the plastic. So when they print it out, it looks like a terracotta pot. And Yeah, right. And they even have ones that have wood dust in the plastic. And it looks like wood when it's printed out. So I printed a few stands in that for some of my really small pots. And they, they look pretty good. It's amazing what you can yeah. print. Yeah, and I've you, seen the stands on your channel. They they looked really nice. Yeah, you, if you you can make some nice stuff if you you work at it. Yeah, it's I don't know. It's not for everyone, but <laughs> yeah, that's it. Oh well, we've done over an hour now. Um, thank you so much for your time today for coming on. Um, oh, it's for been the, my pleasure, Josh. For the people out there, once again, that haven't found your YouTube, do you just want to tell them where they can find you and your videos? You can just look up the Bonsai Zone on YouTube or just type in Nigel Saunders and you'll find me there. Um, yeah, and thanks for watching and thanks for having me on, Josh. It's been a, a pleasure and and uh, hope we talk together sometime in the future. Uh, I'm absolutely sure we will. We're going to be around in the YouTube world together and online. Yep. So the possibilities are endless. Fellow creators. <laughs> yeah, that's it, creators. We'll be driving Lamborghinis someday, won't we? <laughs> That'll be the dream. I, I think we have to come out of the, the creators into the influencers. 
Okay. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that, when that, we what they call it. Maybe when we bring out our rap videos, we can uh, you know bump up to the Lamborghini level. <laughs> yeah, and you don't want to hear me rap, that's for sure. No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, um, yeah, thanks for your time today, and uh, I hope everyone enjoys this podcast. Well, keep up the good work. I enjoy your channel immensely, Josh. It's fantastic. <laughs>